change the form factor on this. Did y'all see that? Last week it was uh, in a very small factor uh, where you folded it in half. That was what I asked for, not realizing that it would make it as small as it was. But then I got to looking at it, and guys my age, especially when they don't have their glasses on, it's hard to see it. So I, t- I said, look, let's go back. Let's just put it in a larger form factor. You younger folks don't need it, but us, us folks need it. People my age and older need it. Uh, at least many of us need it. So I went back and had them to change the form factor. You can go back and add in uh, from last week the things that we talked about. Uh, make sure that uh, they get placed in. We're going to be picking up on the second page, letter B, in just a moment. Um, and that's where we left off. But I just want to go through uh, John 15, 16, if I can, for just a moment. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. This lesson and the next lesson are really primarily laying a foundation for what we want to give to you by way of what we call the grace approach, where we use the word grace, the letters of the word grace as an acronym, as a memory tool to help us share our faith with others. In other words, we want to be people who are bearing fruit. What, what do apple trees do? They bear apples. What do pear trees do? They bear pears. What do peach trees do? They bear peaches. What do Christians do? We bear fruit. Uh, If we're walking with the Lord, we're abiding in the Lord, if we're maturing in our faith, the inevitable result is that we're going to be bearing fruit. Uh, If we're not bearing fruit, then the Lord comes and he prunes us because he wants us to be prepared to bear fruit in our spiritual lives. And the kind of fruit that we're talking about specifically, while there's several kinds of fruit he wants us to bear, the kind of fruit specifically that he wants us to bear that we're talking about is the fruit of other believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that the goal, number one, the goal of our outreach is making disciples of Christ. That's what we mean by fruit, making disciples of Christ. Number two, we're not going to go through A, B, and C. Number two, we talked about this last week. There is a procedure to follow in making disciples. And we went through those several points that follow. There's a procedure to follow in making disciples. That first letter, A, says first we must go. That's the duty of every Christian. That's the duty of every Christian. But letter B, and this is where we pick up. Second, there is bearing fruit. This involves the decision that makes salvation personal. Now, I want to be careful with the word decision. I use it several times going forward. When I say a decision, I mean you come to a place when you recognize that Jesus is your answer and you believe in Jesus. Your your mind is changed from unbelief to belief. You go from not trusting in Christ to trusting in Christ. And somewhere there is a moment in your life when you say, you know what? I believe that Jesus died for my sins, was buried and rose again, and is the author of eternal life, and I believe in him for that eternal life. And that's the decision I'm talking about. Uh, There is that crisis moment. I've told you my story many, many times uh, over the years as a 16-year-old on December the 26th, 1973, that moment when it clicked in my head and I finally understood Jesus wants to be my Savior. Yes, yes, Jesus, be my Savior. That's what I wanted. And at that moment, that decision was made, and I became a a follower of Jesus Christ. But we're, we're talking about bearing fruit. We're talking about bringing people to the place where they're ready to 
to trust in Jesus, where they're ready to believe in Christ for eternal, life, for eternal life. It is that simple. You do realize that, don't you? There are people who don't pray a prayer who are born again. Because the moment you believe that Jesus is the author of eternal life and you believe him for that eternal life, at that moment, the gift is given to you. It's transferred into your life. You become the recipient of that gift. You, you don't have to feel something. This is not an emotional. Some people have emotions. Some people don't have emotions. It's not about emotions. It's about the reality of the promises of God that when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are saved. And somewhere there is that moment in time when you cross over that line from unbelief to belief where you decide, I'm no longer going to trust myself and trust the lies and you know, trust the religion, and I'm going to trust Jesus, and I'm going to trust him for eternal life. There's that, that, that moment of decision. Point one, fruit bearing cannot happen apart from going. It just simply cannot. We cannot bring people to that decision apart from going. Look back at John 15, 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should, what's the next two-letter word? Go and bear fruit. You got to go. We can't keep it to ourselves. We can't hold on to it in this room. As a matter of fact, do you realize, and I'm going to be careful how I say this because I'm always thankful for people who are saved in our services and unsaved people who come to our services and sense the convicting power of the Spirit of God when they're here. I'm always grateful for that. We had a young man two weeks ago, a week ago today, that did that very thing. I'm always grateful for that. But do you realize that the gathering of the church is primarily for the believer in Christ? We come to be taught, to be edified, to be equipped, so that we will go out to where the people are and we will be witnesses as we are going. We are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It requires going. We will not bear fruit. If we sit in the pews and we wait for them to come to us, it isn't going to happen. And some will, there may be a few that'll, that'll find their way in. But for the most part, it isn't going to happen in the way that the Lord would have it to happen, which is for there to be many people who find their way, not in the doors of the church, that's the secondary aspect, but find their way into the family of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it cannot, fruit bearing like we're talking about, where we're bringing people to Jesus Christ, can't happen apart from going. As you are going, if you remember last week, as you are going, make disciples of all the earth baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Number two, fruit bearing cannot happen. It cannot happen apart from God's divine participation. Please understand, this is not manipulation. I'm not suggesting that you get a really suave uh, presentation that you can go and convince people by your incredible personality and uh, your giftedness in speech that you're somehow going to Find a way to get them to come to you. That's not what we're talking about. For people to be saved, it requires the work of God in their hearts. You understand that, don't you? You understand that, don't you? Amen. That's a good place for an amen. You understand that. There, there's, it requires the work of God. That's the, that's the work of God. I never feel responsible for saving anybody. 
I feel responsible for sharing the gospel, the good news, with as many people as is possible and allowing God to do his work through the message of the good news of changing people's lives. I never feel it my responsibility to find somebody and, you know, just work them up till I can get them to the place where they say, okay, I'll pray and receive Christ if you'll leave me alone. I never find that my responsibility. That's why I call this the grace approach. This whole matter of fruit bearing requires that we are abiding in Christ and that Christ is the one who is doing his work. What does John tell us? He tells us in John 16 that the Spirit of God was sent for what purpose? Well, there's several purposes, but what's the purpose he's talking about? To convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. It's not even my responsibility to try to make sure that you understand you know, all there is to know about sin. That's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. I want people to know what sin is. I want them to understand that it's an offense against the holy God and that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But ultimately, the work of, of, of convicting that person so that they'll come to faith in Jesus is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of God. Notice again, we've been reading this so much, I, you probably can quote it from, 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 your, from your heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, and actually this is just a quote out of verses 5 and 6. He says, I, I, I planted, Apollos watered. But who gives the increase? God gives the increase. Uh, you say, Pastor, how has our church over the years been able to grow when other churches have, have receded? I don't know, I, except God. That's the only thing I can say. God is the one who gives the increase. You notice what Acts 16, 14 says? It talks about Lydia. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. Notice what it says. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Now, here's what I believe. I, I believe the Spirit of God is at work uh, in the presentation of the gospel, drawing people to himself through the presentation of the gospel. And our task is to bring the gospel to them, to tell them what is the good news. And so fruit bearing can't happen apart from going, and it can't happen apart from God's divine participation. Um, if you, you, you were saved to our church, then, then you're not saved. <laughs> if you were saved to, to a priest or a preacher, then you're not saved. This is the work of God we're talking about. What does that mean? Well, what does John 15 mean when it talks about abiding in Christ? You know, it, he says there's, there's no fruit, and then there's fruit, and then there's more fruit, and then there's much fruit. You remember John 15, about the first uh, eight or nine verses? There's no fruit, then there's fruit, and then there's more fruit, and then there's much fruit. And what does he say is the key uh, for bearing much fruit? What, what does he say it is? The, the branch has to, uh, to, to do what? Starts with the letter A. He has to abide in the vine. In other words, we've got to be abiding in the Lord, letting God work in us and through us. We've got to become vessels. That's why before we do anything, before, oh, please, please, why do we pray over these boxes? Because these boxes can't save anybody. It has to be the Lord using the message of the gospel that's inside these boxes that has to draw this person or these persons to Jesus Christ. He has to do that work. Amen. Why don't we pray for the lost? 
Why aren't we praying for God to use us? Why aren't we praying God work through us? God, let us be a vessel through the networks of the people that we know. Lord, do your work through us. But Lord, ultimately, this is your work. Our job is to abide in the vine and let God do his work through us. Number three, fruit bearing is about communicating the gospel to the lost. It's about communicating the gospel to the lost. You say, well, we like to talk about the church. I'm glad when you want to talk about the church. I like to talk about my life group. I love it when you talk about your life groups. And uh, those are ways of opening a door to talk to people about the gospel. But if you never get the gospel to them, then you're not really going to ever bear fruit, right? We've got to get the gospel to them. What is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Believing that Jesus is the author and the giver of eternal life. That's the good news. He can take you who are dead in trespasses and sin, and he can make you alive in Jesus Christ. He can take your sins away from you forever, never to be remembered against you, and he can give you, make you a new creation in Christ Jesus. You see that? And that's all the work of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, for it is the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1.16. The power of God. It's the word dunamis. It's the word that gives us the word dynamite. I don't really like that word because I think of dynamite. I think about blowing stuff up, you know, blowing it up into, in, into smithereens. I like to think of how the word is used when it's related to the resurrection of Jesus. What does the power of the gospel do? It raises us to life. It brings us alive in Jesus Christ. By the way, sometimes maybe we need the dynamite, you know, to to blow up some things in our lives so that we'll pay attention to the message of the gospel. Maybe there's a place for it to be used that way. I prefer it to be used in the context of the resurrection. We need people to hear the gospel. We need to hear the gospel. You say, preacher, you give the gospel almost every Sunday. You tell people they need to be saved almost every week. Yeah, I know, I know. And if you're not doing that, then you're not doing the work of the Lord. The gospel has to go forth. You'll notice under number three, the seed to be sown is the word of God. The seed to be sown is the word of God. That's the seed. First Peter 1.23, having been born again. Now notice, you've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. How? Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Luke 8, 11, uh, talking about uh, the sower who goes forth to sow the seed. That This parable, he says, the seed is the word of God. Um, what we're going to teach you to do is that you look for a way, no matter what your circumstances, you look for a way to get the gospel to them. Um, I have visited, I don't visit the hospitals as much as I used to. Um, for, for several reasons, but I, I still visit the hospitals. Matter of fact, the, the, the uh, report is that if, if the preacher is coming to visit me in the hospital, that's not good news. <laughs> and I, I don't like that because I still visit the hospitals, and when I walk in the door, people, <gasps> what's happened? What do you know that I don't know? That's, if I come to the hospital, it, you know, I may be coming because somebody's dying, but that's not the reason I come. I don't make as many visits as I used to make, but I, I've been in, been in rooms when I, I would talk, I talk to people, and I said, well, could I take a moment? Could I share with you how the Lord changed my life? No, I don't want to hear it. 
Well, well can I just uh, take a moment and, and can I pray for you? Oh, yeah, I'll let you pray for me. I've had, I've had one man in 40 years here, one man who wouldn't even let me pray for him. So will you let me pray for you? Yeah, I'll let you pray for me. So let's, let's pray together. Dear Lord, I thank you for the salvation that you gave to me in Christ Jesus. I thank you for the power of the gospel because there was no hope for me eternally apart from the power of the gospel. Lord, we're sinners, and we need you as our Savior. And apart from you, there is no other Savior. Lord Jesus, I pray for my dear friend. I want him to know you like I know you. I want him to know how you change lives like you've changed my life. I want him to have the relationship with you that I have with you. Oh, Lord, I am so thankful that I get to be called your child and I get to be the possessor of eternal life. Lord, I want everybody to be the possessor of eternal life. Lord, I pray for my friend. There's always a way to get the gospel. I've been to people's doors, knocked on the door. They come to the door. Funniest thing I've ever seen in my whole life is to go to people's door at Christmas time, and it's all decorated from Christmas. And you knock on the door, and they answer the door. Say, "Can I tell you? Can I talk to you for a few moments?" And they say, "No." I say, well, "Can I? Can I? Can I give you the you know a message of some kind?" No. We're atheists. What's the tree about then? You know, what, what are the lights about? Mary will remember we were visiting a house in Riverdale, Georgia. So that's been a long time ago. Knocked on the door. Had, the whole door was decorated. And the man said, he didn't want to listen to us. We, we were, he was an atheist. Well, you know what you do? Then the next thing you ask is, could I leave something with you? What are you doing? You're looking for a way to get the word to that person right? Now, there's a lot of ways to do that these days. There's all kinds of technology to do that with these days. It's fascinating, but the seed to be sown is the Word of God, and the sower of the seed is you and me. We are the sowers of the seed. Hey, look, it ain't going to do us any good to keep it in the bag. We've got to reach in and grab a handful of the seed of the Word of God, of the gospel of God, and we've got to cast it. Listen to 126, verse, verse 6. He that continually goes forth weeping. Now, what does he have to do? Bearing seed for sowing. What does he do with the seed? Keep it in his bag? No. He keeps on going forth. He's, he's, he's passionate about what he's doing. He's weeping, bearing the seed, sowing the seed. Shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Romans 10, 14, and 17. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? We have to be willing to take the word. Number four, fruit bearing takes place primarily in four stages. I'm going to give you some profundity. I grew up in the city. The only grass we saw grew between the cracks and the sidewalk until we moved outside the city. But I'm going to, I'm going to become a farmer for you for the next few moments because y'all don't look, you're looking at me like a cow or like a bull looking at a new fence. Like, yeah, you think you can, are you ready? There's four stages. First, there's the preparing the ground. Duh. Then there's sowing the seed. Mm. Then there's cultivating the crop. And then there's harvesting the fruit. See, I know how to be a farmer. 
It's preparing the ground, sowing the seed, cultivating the crop, harvesting the fruit. Preparing the ground, sowing the seed, cultivating the crop, harvesting the fruit. Now, I don't know much about farming. I don't know, I know virtually nothing about farming. Mary's daddy was a, had several acres of, of ground that he had a garden on. My mother had a small garden out back of the house. She went out early in the morning and worked in the garden and forced me to work in the garden occasionally. But what I do know is that you don't go out and just throw the seed on unprepared ground. You prepare the ground. What are we talking about? What we're going to talk about as we go along. But that's what the friendships are about. That's what these relationships are about. That's what uh, various experiences in life are about. They have a death. They have a wedding. They have uh, a job loss. They have an illness. Uh, any of these kinds of experiences in life become opportunities f- for the ground to be prepared. And when the ground is prepared, what do you do? You put the seed in, right? You put the seed in. Um, if you're sowing wheat, you're, you're throwing it in, you know, in large groups. If you're, if you're planting like you do corn and other things, you're putting it in rows. You know, every, few in, every few feet, you're putting it out. You're putting it out, but you've got to put the seed in the ground. And then what do you got to do? You've got to water it. What did he say? What did Paul say? I, I planted Apollos, watered. That's cultivating the seed. It may be that the ground has been prepared in somebody's heart and you've put the seed in, but it hasn't come to fruition yet. What do you do? You keep going back with the water, right? And when you see the weeds, you work on the weeds. You might have to answer some questions. You might have to give some clarification, but you're trying to make sure that you protect the seed so that it can grow up. And when it grows up, what do you do? Let it die on the vine? Uh, let it lay out there in the garden until the, the, the deer come and eat it? What do you do? You harvest it. Now, that's what we're going to be talking through. When is the ground prepared? How do we go about sowing this seed? How do we cultivate that seed that gets sown? And how do we know when it's right to harvest what we see? Number five, fruit bearing ultimately requires calling for a decision about Christ. Ultimately, every conversation, not every conversation, ultimately most conversations that I'm dealing with somebody about their eternal soul, I bring them to a point of making a decision. Uh, Will you trust in Jesus as as your Savior now? We have to call people to a decision. That's why you have an altar call at church. That's why you have uh, invitations that are, that are extended. Christianity is not about a religious experience. Hey, you, you can have a lot of religious experiences and not know the Lord. I'm trying to think whether I should tell you this story or not. It's not about a religious experience, but about a relationship with the living Savior. There's a man that I tried to win to Christ for, for a long, long time. I, uh, I felt like the ground was prepared. I sowed the seed. I cultivated the seed. I kept waiting for there to be a harvest. And I, I, would, I would talk to him about the Lord. And he'd just keep turning me down every time, over and over again. He would turn me down. Didn't, didn't come. He has not to this day, he's older than I am, has not to this day come to know the Lord as his Savior. But he's a religious man. He goes to a Catholic church into Mass. He goes on Saturday so that he can uh, play golf on Sunday. And he's careful to make sure that he practices the various aspects of his religious ceremony. But my friend, if 
he dies tonight will die and go to hell. Because for him, receiving Jesus means partaking of the wine and the bread that literally becomes the body of Jesus. He's receiving Jesus every time he goes to that altar. He's not receiving Jesus. He's receiving Jesus by works. He's not receiving Jesus by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, somebody asked me, they said, uh, this has been in the last week, they said, uh, they showed me a pamphlet about some Catholic place down in Kentucky somewhere where you can go and you can rent rooms and it's quiet. You go in, you have a vow of silence when you go in. You stay for however many days you want to go. It's really cheap to do it. It's a beautiful place. All the grounds are wonderful. And when she got through explaining it to him, Mary was standing right there next to me. She got through explaining it to me. She said, do you know who Thomas Merton is? I said, well, yeah, I know Thomas Merton. I mean, I know the name. I know he's a Catholic scholar. You don't know who Thomas Merton is? Well, I said, well, I'm sort of on the other side of the religious realm from where I am. And uh, this, is, this is a lady who needs the Lord Jesus. She's religious. She'll take a vow of silence. She'll go on a spiritual retreat, but she's never trusted in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life. Hey, you don't have to be a part of our church to go to heaven. You have to be a part of the Catholic, they say. You have to be a part of the Catholic church to get in. You've got to go through the sacraments to be able to get into heaven. That's, that's works salvation. Are you all with me on this? You understand what I'm saying? We're trying to convince people you need a relationship with Jesus. You don't need a religion. You don't need a bunch more ceremonies to be involved in. You need to put your faith in Jesus. That's what you need. Only, only a decision to place faith in Christ can save the lost. Only putting your faith in Christ can save the lost. You can go confess to the priest as long as you want. You can count the rosary. You can go through the beads that are reminders about prayer. You can pray to Mary all you wish. Have you ever been up the back hallways of St. Mary's Hospital? The very first level that you call, you have, the very first landing has Mary's picture. You don't get the Jesus picture till the second level. You pray to saints and you, all the things that you do. Listen, I respect that they are religious people but they're religious and they're lost if they haven't put their faith in Jesus. Let me, let me stop here. If, um, are you saying everybody that's Catholic is going to hell? I didn't say that. Because I believe there's some people that are Catholic that have put their faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone, but it'll be in spite of what they're being taught, not because of what they're being taught. They're not my enemies. They're people that I want to win to Jesus. Uh, I, I want to bring them to faith in Jesus. Number, number six, fruit bearing involves reaping the harvest God has given. Ultimately, what we want to do is lead people to faith in Jesus. And then let her see, and finally, finally, let her see, there is fruit that remains. This is the discipleship track for new believers. Now, I want to be careful here. I don't want to separate too far the decision to trust in Jesus from the discipleship. But I want, to, I want to remind you of something. When Jesus said um, some of those things in the Gospel of Luke chapter 9, for instance, about what it, what, it, what it cost to be his disciple, that has nothing to do with salvation. That has to do with what it costs you to follow Jesus faithfully. 
otherwise, you've got a works-based salvation in Luke chapter 9. You've got to be willing to give up this. You've got to be willing to take up your cross. You've got to be willing. You can't go home and say goodbye to your family. Hey, that's not what it takes to be saved. What it takes to be saved is faith in Jesus. But what it takes to follow Jesus is a decision every single day to put Christ first. Number one, we should be seeking more than decisions for Christ. We should be seeking, number two, to make disciples of Christ. Isn't that what the Great Commission says? That's what the Great Commission says. We don't want to just win people and leave them. You don't give birth to a baby and walk off and say, hey, you're here. I hope you can, hope you can make it the rest of the way. Isn't what you do? A disciple is a devoted learner and follower of Christ. And how do you make a disciple of Christ? Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to observe all things. All things. What do you do? Teach them. What do we teach them to do? Observe. How many things do they have to observe? All things that Christ has commanded you. That's, that's what we're trying to do. Making disciples involves these three words, preserving, protecting, and providing. This person's come to faith. Now you have a responsibility to them, preserving, protecting, and providing. We'll talk more about that as we go through this series. Preserving, protecting, and providing. Decisions, now listen, that do not lead to discipleship threaten T-H-R-E-A-T-E-N, threaten the very fabric of Christianity since they do not lead to passing on the faith to the next spiritual generation. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying or not. It's not enough for us to have a tote board and say, we had 32 people saved. Well, that's a great thing. I thank God for that. I'm wonderful with that. The question is, now how many of those are going on with the Lord? That's our task. We lead them to Jesus, and we help them to go on in their faith. In bearing fruit that remains, we glorify the Father. In bearing fruit that remains, we glorify the Father. John 15, 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. Now, the challenge of the first lesson has been a challenge for us to go to recognize our responsibility, to understand there's a process to follow, to have a desire to learn how to effectively share our faith with others, to recognize that religiosity is not enough, that it requires a relationship, and that relationship comes through faith in Jesus. Following Jesus requires daily decisions of, of denying yourself and dying to yourself. But you don't have to deny yourself. The, the, your, your responsibility when it comes to somebody who's lost is to bring them to the place of trusting in Jesus as his or her Savior. Do you get that? And so the challenge from the first lesson is to, let's get busy. We've got to go, folks. We've got to get busy if we're going to lead people to Jesus. Next week we'll get into lesson two. We're going to start breaking this down into its parts. And we're going to start learning how to, be a, how to be more effective witnesses. But here's the bottom line. You can't win anybody on your own. That's why Brother Tim, he's constantly after all of us. Who's on your list that we're praying for? Who are we praying for? Are we walking with God? 
Are we living for the Lord? Are we abiding in him? Are we asking God to use us? Are we asking him to open the hearts of people? Are we praying for conviction to come to their hearts? Or are we just sort of going through life, doing life, and having fun in life, or maybe having troubles in life, and we're not even thinking about people's eternal souls? Everybody in this room is going to spend eternity in one of two places. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. And when I say hell, I'm talking about the lake of fire. That's the final resting place of the departed dead. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. Everybody, every member of your family, please, please hear me before we go out here for this reception. I could not put my head on the pillow at night if I did not know that my daughter and her family and my son and his family did not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I could not, you, you talk about a daddy, a granddaddy, that's what I've done. I begged God for the salvation of my family. God, don't let them be in a preacher's house. Grow up hearing all the language and all the terminology and walk away because they know the right answers, but they don't know the Savior because they didn't trust him. And that's what we've got. We've got a lot of people that grew up in Christian homes that were at church all the time, that knew all the songs, knew all the right words. They even said they prayed a prayer, but their faith is in the prayer. Their faith isn't in Jesus. I'm okay. I prayed a prayer. Well, that, that, your, your prayers don't get you to heaven. The, the Catholics pray prayers all the time. It's when you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I'm trusting you. My whole, I have no hope apart from you, Jesus. I rest my entire eternal destiny on you. I got no other hope but Jesus. When I get to heaven, they say, David, what, why should I let you in here? <laughs> well, on the basis of me, you shouldn't let me in. But on the basis of what Jesus did for me, you have to let me in. Because I trusted in Jesus. That's my only hope of getting into heaven.